I will speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. For most kids, going to camp in the summertime is one of childhood's most memorable experiences. When the seasons begin to change from summer into autumn, as it appears they're trying to do right now in Northeast Florida, it is those happy memories of summer at camp that can help to keep kids focused on getting through another school year and looking forward to getting back to another summer. And even with a summer like the one kids around the country have just been through this year with COVID-19, if nothing else, those memories of past summers and the hope to get back to camp again might just help a little bit with kids getting through the harder online classes or socially distanced classrooms in school right now and get back to a more normal summer next year. I know I can still remember when I was a little boy going to summer camp. Almost every year from the time I was in fourth grade, I would find some camp to attend, or maybe my mother would find some camp for me to attend. Early on, I remember going to the Laurel Lake Baptist Camp close to my home, and then later on I graduated to a more statewide conservation camp, and finally, when I was nearing high school, I made it to Boy Scout camp several years in a row. And each and every time before I went off to whatever camp it was I was going to that summer, I can still remember my dear sweet mother, who just happens to be with us today in the church, going to the hard work of a very important pre-camp task. Each year, she would go through all the clothes I was going to take with me that week, my hiking boots, my backpack, my flashlights, all my canteens, and make sure that every single one of those things had my name written on it somewhere. Now, I never really thought much about this strenuous taxing work with all those ink pens and Sharpie markers that my mother was doing for me. That is, until I was at camp and I left my hat in the camp dining hall, or I dropped my all-important water bottle somewhere out on the camp trail. Only then did I realize how important all that writing of names on a little piece of tape or on each and every tag of my underwear was meant to be for my week at summer camp. And many years later, I would indeed get my own comeuppance for all the hard labor my dear mother went through when I myself would have to do the same thing for my own two older daughters. Then it was my turn to write their names on everything they were taking with them to summer camp. And I imagine that it won't be too much longer before Audrey and I will again be doing the very same thing to make sure that our daughter Aoife doesn't lose something or have something mistaken as belonging to someone else when she makes her first trip to summer camp. Because all these years later, I think it's easy for all of us to agree that sometimes a simple name can help us know just exactly what belongs to whom. And this morning's gospel lesson, Jesus is asking for something that just happens to have someone's name written on it. He asked for this object in order to identify and connect the name written on it with the person to whom that thing belongs to. It is Jesus' way of answering a question this morning that was meant to entrap him 
And it is presented to him this morning by two different groups from ancient Israel who are out to get rid of Jesus and his message once and for all. In the gospel we just heard read to us from Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees, who of course are a group we're very used to hearing about who are out to get Jesus, have called in one of their least likely allies in the political and religious leadership of ancient Israel to finally finish the job. They've brought in a group known in the Bible as the Herodians to get rid of Jesus. Now, the Herodians are mentioned only two other times in the entire Bible. And really, scholars today still aren't exactly sure if they were a religious group or if they were more of a political party of sorts among the ancient Jews. The only thing we really know is that the name that they carry identifies them as the supporters and backers of King Herod Antipas, the Roman-supported ruler at that time in the Galilean region north of Judea. And Herod Antipas, I'm sure you remember, was the son of King Herod the Great, the king of Judea, who the wise men visited as they followed that star to Bethlehem years earlier at the birth of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. After the encounter with the Magi, Herod the Great would become notorious for ordering the slaughter of all the innocent male children, two years old and under, in and around Bethlehem in an attempt to murder this newly born king of the Jews, be told by the wise men. And it appears in the story we just heard in Matthew this morning that the supporters of Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, would very much like to finish what Herod the Great had started all those years ago when he massacred the innocents to try and take out the infant Jesus. And it is because of this dislike of the Herodians for Jesus and because they are tightly knit as sympathizers to the Roman authorities that the Pharisees have worked up this plan and summoned the Herodians to help cast serious doubt and shame on Jesus. So once the Pharisees and the Herodians have gathered themselves in and around Jesus and the group of Jewish people following Jesus, they drop this question to him so that all can hear it. Teacher, they say, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show no deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then. What you think of this? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, this is their master plan. Catch Jesus when he's least expecting and start out by telling him how sincere and truthful of a teacher he is, making him feel safe with encouraging words and compliments of character, and then hit Jesus with a question in which either answer he gives will get him in trouble, if not arrested and prove that he is a fraud. It is without question the best laid plan we've heard before from the Pharisees. Only, yet again, as I'm sure you already know, they fail terribly. Because Jesus knows the Pharisees and Herodians' intention of trickery and malice. Some things never change. And Jesus also knows that Roman taxation the root of this masterful trick question is based on one thing and one thing alone, 
Roman currency. So Jesus asked these gatherers to pull out and give to him a Roman coin. Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, the English writers tell us this is the equivalent of a penny. And in the New Revised Standard Version we read this morning, it's identified more by its Roman title, a denarius. But regardless of how much it might have been worth all those years ago, it's the title and it's the face inscribed upon the coin which Jesus wants to bring to light. Jesus asks, whose head is this and whose title? And they answered, the emperor's. Then Jesus said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Now, if Jesus had answered the way they planned, they would have had him like a fly in a spider's web. Had Jesus simply said yes to the question, it was lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, he would then be seen instantly by the Jewish people following him as their Messiah, as a traitor in league with the Roman oppressors. And had Jesus said no, it was not lawful to pay taxes to the emperor of the Roman invaders, he would have been liable for sedition and could have been arrested and taken away right there on the spot. But what Jesus says in that moment, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's, deflates all their hope of entrapment in an instant. For both the Pharisees and the Herodians realize that what Jesus has said is true. Rather than a black or white yes or no answer, Jesus has given them more of a both and answer because what is written on the denarius certainly belongs to that one title and what is written on the law of Moses belongs to something completely different. And beyond just the simple writing of names upon physical objects, the Pharisees and the Herodians know Jesus' answer carries within it something so much deeper and more meaningful. For they know that what Jesus has just proclaimed is that even if taxes should be paid to a taxing leader, the politics and taxations of an earthly emperor, king, or ruler is without question the lesser thing. Sure, Jesus tells them, give back the fees for the gratitude and the requirements of the rulers of civil law and order. Pick your party for national politics. Choose whose name you want to check off or which party you want to support financially. Pay back the paper money and the silver and copper coins to the country that mint those coins and require your taxation. But never, ever lose sight of the simple fact that those earthly leaders and warlords are nothing compared to God, the creator of heaven and earth. Render unto whichever Caesar has the power to require you to render it to them, but render unto God all that is God's. And I must ask you this morning, what do we have right now that isn't already from God? If we are in this church this morning, healthy and safe, do we really have to think about who gives us that blessing? 
If we are living in this great nation in the middle of this frightening pandemic with a roof over our head and with five or six incredible hospitals around us right now to run to, if our temperature, God forbid, were to suddenly go up and we were to suddenly feel ill, is it really just ourselves and our country or our city that we should give credit? And if we have a remnant of family close by us, of friends who check in on us, or someone who loves us without question and repayment required. Who is responsible for those blessings and the support that is given to us in the good times and the bad times? If God is the giver of our life and all things that are within it, then isn't God's name already written on everything? And if God's name is written on everything from the tiniest grain of sand out at the beach to the deepest crevice in the Atlantic Ocean or the deepest love we feel in our hearts and souls this morning, then I ask you, what is required of us first and foremost? Is it what we must render to whims and fancies of politics and emperors? Or is it that which we must render to the very God who loves us? who redeems us, who forgives us, and who saves us whenever we as human beings slip and fall. And we as human beings slip and fall all the time. This is the most masterful point of Jesus's answer. And you better believe that those Pharisees and Herodians recognized it from the very moment it came out of Jesus's holy mouth. For the Bible tells us that when they heard it, they were amazed and they left him and went away. And brothers and sisters, that, I believe, is the most painful part of the whole story this morning. They were amazed and yet they turned and walked away from Jesus. They went back to whatever it was that they were doing, whatever it was they were worrying about, whatever it was they were plotting against. Friends, my mother wrote the names on my camp shoes so that if someone found them, they would bring them to me as the rightful owner and I could put them back on and get back out on the trail, walking or hiking or doing whatever it was I needed those shoes to do in the bliss of that summer camp experience. If we know that God's name is on everything in this world and in our lives, shouldn't we turn and give all we can of that great blessing, no matter how much of it we feel is presented to us, back to God in the loving ways that God calls on us to do it as God's children, not just for ourselves, but for our community and for our world. In the weeks ahead, you can render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's. And I can tell you, if you're watching the news, that's probably all you're going to hear about. But don't forget to take time to render to God more of your time and attention and care and more of your heart and more of your love and more of your hope to all God has given us. Because God will always give us so much more than any Caesar can ever give to us. For God's name is written on our hearts. So render unto God that which belongs to God. Render unto God your heart.